Good morning, New City. It's great to be with you this morning. My name is Matt Lee. My wife, Jill, and I, my wife is up here on the front row. Uh, my wife, Jill, and I are disciple, disciple group leaders here at New City, and I am part of the teaching team. In the weeks leading up to Resurrection Sunday, in the season of Lent, we have been going through a series uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, just simply called At the Cross. One of the great things about this morning thus far has been just the opportunity to look at Jesus. Would you agree? This morning in worship, I'm just reminded of what a privilege it is to behold our Savior and Him looking, and just behold our Savior and look at Him. So this morning, I want to encourage you to look at Jesus. I want to encourage myself to look at Jesus. So will you bow your heads with me? I want to pray and ask God just to, to reveal Himself to us here today. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to speak, the opportunity to look at your word, particularly this series, At the Cross. Lord, we pray that as we we study, that your Holy Spirit would just be here. Lord, that you would open your word to us, reveal anything that you want us to change, Lord, encourage us, Lord, to be the family of God this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in this series, we've been looking at the words of Jesus not before he was on the cross, not after he was on the cross, but literally the words of Jesus in his time of pain, in his time of suffering as he hung on the cross, Jesus continued to speak words of life to us. Two weeks ago, we looked at his first last saying on the cross and Pastor Matt opened the word to us and it was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I'm thankful for the how, how the Lord has spoken to us about how to forgive others and how to forgive ourselves. And then the second saying on the cross really flows out of that where, where Jesus says to the criminal on his side, today you will be with me in paradise. And then there's this third saying. This third saying that we're going to look at today, it's a little bit different than those first two sayings, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Let's look together at John chapter 19 and read that saying of Jesus. John chapter 19, beginning with verse 25. Now, standing beside Jesus' cross were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing there, Now, I'll pause there for a moment. This disciple whom Jesus loved, most scholars agree that this was the Apostle John. And so today I will say John referring to the Apostle whom Jesus loved, even though in this text it doesn't explicitly say it was John, I'm going to use that interchangeably today, all right? So when Jesus saw his mother and his disciple whom he loved standing there, he said to his mother, woman, look, here is your son, He then said to his disciple, look, here is your mother. From that very time, the disciple took her into his own home. Now, I want to make four observations this morning about this third saying of Jesus on the cross. The first observation I would like to make this morning is the words of Jesus illustrate both the humanity and the horror of the scene the humanity and the horror of the scene. 
you know, the first two sayings, they, they seem a little bit more um, like what we would expect Jesus to say, right? They're, they're a little bit more spiritual in nature. Father, forgive them. Today you'll be with me in paradise. These are things that in our contemporary understanding of Jesus that are very Jesus-like things to say. We expect the Savior, the Son of God, to say, Father, forgive them. We expect him to say, today you will be with me in paradise. But, but what is this? Woman, here's your son. Here's your mother. What is this about? I believe these words bring us back this morning to the reality of the flesh and blood of the cross. We can see the divine nature of God, that he was truly the son of God in those first two statements. And then in this third statement, it brings us back to the fact that he was flesh and blood. He was fully man. I I think if we allow ourselves this morning to sit with these words, just to sit with them, it can elicit within us a true sense of empathy with Jesus, with Mary, his mother, and with John, this disciple whom he loved. Now, many of you know that back in December, I lost my, my grandmother. My grandmother was 96 years old. Uh, my mom, by the way, is an only child. So you can imagine that my mom had spent 60 plus years of her life with her mom as her best friend, right? And mom was shared with me around the time of grandma's death. She said, you know, I just don't know what I'm gonna do. My mom was my best friend. When I had trouble, I would still go to my mom and she would pray for me. She was a prayer warrior. She was my confidant. So during this time when grandma died, I, 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 as her son, as, as my mother's son, I, I was concerned about my mom. I was concerned because I knew that grandma's passing would just leave a void in her life. And, and the best I could, I, I, I set some things in motion to make sure that my mom was going to be taken care of. Now, I put a picture on the screen and I debated about putting this picture up. There's a reason why I put this picture on the screen. This is me and my grandmother. This is just... Uh, while she's on her deathbed. This is just a couple of days before she passed. The reason I put this on the screen, it's not to be melodramatic. It's not to, to draw out undue emotion, although I'm not afraid of emotion. And guys, we don't have to be afraid to feel things and ladies. But I put this on the screen because this is a really, really special moment in my life, right? Now, something you need to know about this is my grandmother had had a stroke. She couldn't talk. She couldn't communicate. She never was able to communicate before she died, after she had the stroke, with words. But she's communicating with touch here, isn't she? And this is a special time because I'm standing here at my grandmother's bedside, and my mom is taking this picture. And of course, tears are streaming down my mom's face. But this is a really tender moment in our family, something that I will cherish. I'm so thankful that this picture was captured. I was studying this and I showed this to one of my good brothers in Christ yesterday and I said, you know, do you think it's appropriate to put this up here, you know, given the subject matter? He looked at it and he thought, he said, you know, I, th- I think it is. I-, I said, well, what does it speak to you? He said, you know, your grandma's reaching out and comforting you in her time of death and I think that's what Jesus was doing there too. I thought, that's interesting. I didn't even see that. Here's what I wanted to illustrate with this picture. This was a really special time. It was a special moment between my grandma, myself, and my mom who took the picture, it, it illustrates real 
human family connections. And I think the same thing was happening as Jesus was hanging on that cross, as he spoke to Mary, as he spoke to John, real human connection was happening there. Here's your son. Here's your mother. Does the same thing. You know, sometimes I think we forget that Jesus was a real human being. We call it the incarnation. He was 100% God, yet 100% man. It's hard to comprehend. It's a great mystery, but he was a real human being. A man who had once been a boy, a boy who had once been a baby in the womb of his mother, even as he was dying as the savior of the world, he did not neglect his role as a good Jewish son. But as we look closer, we see that humanity, yes, but as we look closer, the picture of the cross dramatically shifts from the picture of my grandmother. That was a a good moment, right? It was sad, yes, but there was a sense that 96 years she was going to be with Jesus. There was a sense that 96 years, this is the cycle of life. This is how things should be. But the scene at the cross was nothing like that. I'm told my understanding is that losing a child, and some of you in this room have probably lost a child, my understanding is that is the most traumatic thing that can happen to somebody. It's not supposed to happen, right? Regardless of how old your child is, even if you're 70 and they are 50, it's just not supposed to happen. But yet here is Mary at the foot of the cross watching her son die. And not just die, but watching her son be, be tortured. You see, while the words illustrate the humanity of the scene, they also illustrate the horror. To witness the death of a child is almost unthinkable, and to witness in this manner, I, I just, I cannot wrap my mind completely around it. The pain that Mary must have been feeling took me to Simeon's prophecy in Luke chapter 2. Some of you might remember the story of Simeon. Simeon was uh, waiting to see the Messiah. He'd asked God to let him lay his eyes on the Messiah before he died. And he's rejoicing in that they brought Jesus to uh, the, the temple on the eighth day. And he's rejoicing that he's seeing the Messiah. And he speaks some words over Mary. And this is what he says. This is really interesting. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, listen carefully, this child is destined to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be rejected. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul as well. Remember, he's speaking this to Mary. He says, a sword will pierce your own soul as well. Now, when I read this, my first thought was that uh, as Mary was standing at the foot of the cross, this, this prophecy was being fulfilled. Her heart must have been pierced with sorrow as she watched her son die. And I, I think that there is uh, some meaning there in that. But as I continued to study, there is much, much more here. So I want to pause that and we're going to come back to this prophecy of Simeon, all right? I promise we'll come back to it. But for now, let's look at the second observation that uh, I've written down in your notes. The words of Jesus remind us that he did not neglect his, 
quote-unquote earthly responsibility. Now, we've already touched on the fact that Jesus did not neglect his role as a good Jewish son. He was taking care of his mother, and we would probably all agree that there are certain earthly responsibilities that come with being a son. Everybody in agreement with that? Just say amen. I want to make sure you're still alive, right? Observe here that Jesus, in the middle of his substitutionary death, as he's suffering, as he's dying, he took the time to attend to this woman that in the flesh was his mother. Now, I'm the type of guy, if you know me, I love ministry. I'm kind of a ministry junkie. I drive my wife crazy when you're flipping through the channels because I actually stop on the preaching channels and I listen. She's like, why are you listening to that? I'm like, I just find it interesting. I love church. I love ministry, right? I'm serious. That doesn't make me super spiritual. It probably makes me weird, okay? I like to preach. I like to teach. I like to meet with people. I like to help people walk through problems. I love the whole Kairos learning circle thing. I know it probably makes me weird, right? I love that. Several months ago when Jill and I were going through uh, the discipleship here at New City and I was getting excited about discipling others, the Holy Spirit made it really clear to me that if I was not discipling in my own home, I had no business discipling people outside of my home. And we don't have any children, not yet. The Lord's given us kids. We don't have any children yet but I have a responsibility to disciple my wife. She challenges me, don't get me wrong on that stuff, but I have a responsibility for that discipleship to start at home. I believe Jesus was modeling this. Here's what I want to say. I I love how we here at New City, we're we're very ministry-driven, right? We want to equip people to go out and to do ministry. I love how we also prioritize family. So can I say this? Men and women, Don't become so busy teaching, preaching, discipling others that you have no time for your own spouse and your own children. Do not sacrifice your family responsibility on the quote-unquote altar of ministry. Those who do this, they really need to study and practice practice the, the principle exemplified by Christ here on the cross. And can I take it one step further? Men, I'll just talk to you men in the room. Men, fathers, yes, you must love and follow Jesus regardless of what your wife does, regardless of what your kids do. You must love and follow Jesus. And, notice I didn't say but, and as you follow Jesus, it is your responsibility to love your family. And part of loving your family includes working to provide for them. I believe Jesus is modeling this for us as he hangs on the cross at the most important, arguably the most important ministry moment in history. He's caring for his mom. Now this is a good place to shift gears a little bit. See, there's so much here that, that, that is very human and we see the humanity or the earthly aspect of Jesus' provision But ultimately, this second point, he didn't neglect his earthly responsibility. And I I really don't like that 
earthly term because really everything is sacred, right? There's, there's this unnecessary dichotomy between real life and the spiritual and, and, and we do that and it doesn't need to be there. But think about this. What was Jesus's responsibility? What did he come to do? The gospels tell us that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Yes, Jesus is being a good Jewish son here, but he's doing so much more than that. He, in the middle of his saving work, is shifting from merely being Mary's son, catch this, to being her savior. He's not just her son, he is becoming Mary's savior. I want to be clear about something. While Mary was blessed in the sense that she was chosen to conceive and to carry the Christ through a miraculous virgin birth, Mary was not sinless and should not be exalted as if she were a co-equal mediator of salvation. It's just not in Scripture. 1 Timothy tells us, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all, revealing God's purpose at his appointed time. How do I know that Mary needed a savior just like you and me? How do I know this? Am I just saying this because it's a, the Protestant position rather than a Catholic position? Am I just saying this? How do I know this? I know this because Mary testifies to it. Look at Luke chapter one, verse 46 and 48. And Mary said, she's praising God. She's carrying the Christ child. It's a hymn of praise to God. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has begun to rejoice in God, my savior. Mary needed a savior too because he's looked upon the humble state of his servant for from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why will they call her blessed? Because she is carrying her Savior and our Savior. Hallelujah. Mary acknowledges that salvation will come through her child, but identifies with those who are in need of this salvation. There's more. Let's go back now to Simeon's prophecy to Mary in Luke 2.35. This is what it says there in verse 35. I'll read it again. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul as well. Simeon is referring to the fact that Jesus, when he's lifted up, Jesus will lay open the hearts of Israel. He will lay open the hearts of men and women. And he says that, Mary, your heart also will be laid open. It reminds us of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. You guys probably remember this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from merit, is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. And no creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. What's that saying? It's saying God's word knows how to open us up and reveal what's inside. And I'm here to tell you today, God doesn't open up our hearts and reveal anything to add to our misery, but only to add to our liberty. So as we look at Jesus today, know this, he wants to open up your heart so he can make you free.
No longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. He wants to open up our hearts so he can deal with what's inside. God's word embodied in Messiah Jesus has the ability to reveal the hearts of mankind. When I first read Simeon's thought, Simeon's prophecy, I I told you, I thought, uh, you know, a sword will pierce your own soul as well. I thought it's merely talking about the sorrow she would feel, but praise God, it doesn't stop there. He says, the word of God expressed in and through Jesus will lay your heart open as well, Mary. So with this third saying, Jesus moves from simply being Mary's son to being her savior. As he hung on the cross, exposing the heart of mankind, he became her apostle and her high priest as well. Hebrews 4 continues. It's too good not to read it all to you. Hebrews 4 continues. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. Jesus did not neglect his earthly responsibility. He came to seek and to save the lost, destroy the works of the devil, so that the world, including Mary, and including John, could be saved. I gotta move quickly. Third observation, the words of Jesus express his love and his care for his followers. You know, as you look at these words, woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother, as you look at these words, it it reminds us of a curious passage in Luke chapter eight, verse 19 and 20. I'm gonna read it to you here. Now Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not get near him because of the crowd. So he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But he replied to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Wow. Now, at first glance, it looks like maybe Jesus is depreciating his mother Hopefully we know he's not doing that. What he's doing instead is he is exalting obedience. He's letting us know that, that if you follow, hear, and obey God's word, you are his family. Referring back to discipleship here at New City. I'm wired up as a shepherd, can you tell? I love discipleship. One of the things I love about our discipling process at New City and hopefully the preaching and hopefully it, it, it goes through all levels of our discipleship and what we're doing here is we ask people to process these questions. What is God saying and how will you respond? Why is this so important for us? Because Jesus says that those who hear and do, those are his family. Are you following me? Through Christ, right? Right? We don't earn, it's not meritorious. We don't earn anything. But as we accept the work of Jesus and then we follow him, we're we're hearing and doing. You know the difference between the wise man and the foolish man in Matthew chapter seven? Did you guys ever sing that song, the wise man built his house upon the rock? The foolish man built his house upon the sand? I sang that in Sunday school. You know the difference between the two? The wise man heard, and having heard, he put it into practice. The foolish man heard, 
but he didn't put his words into practice. Hearing and doing is very, very important. But, but, but catch this. I don't, don't want to get away from this third saying. If Jesus took care of his mother as she stood at the foot of the cross, how much more will he take care of us, his followers? He's viewing us as his family. This brings us to the final observation of the day. It's simply this. The words of Jesus on the cross as he's saying, Behold thy son, behold thy mother. See, Mary and John were both followers of Jesus. The words of Jesus reveal the nature of the church. You know, it, it really is strange that Jesus didn't ask his own brothers to take care of their mother, right? I know there's some teaching that say Jesus didn't have brothers. It seems really clear to me in Scripture that he had brothers. Yet, against custom and what we would expect, you find that, that Jesus wanted Mary to be taken care of by John. You can find many theories as to why. I personally believe because he's acknowledging that there is a family that goes beyond family. It's called the church. You can find that Jesus is providing a new relationship here between Mary and John, illustrating the provision made for us in the church, the body of Christ. If you look at Mark chapter 10, Another interesting passage there when we think about family. Mark chapter 10, the context there is Jesus is, the, the rich young ruler has come and Jesus, he, he, Jesus says he must give away his riches to follow him and his disciples, he then says, you know, it's harder for a rich man to, it's easier for him to pass through the eye of a needle than to follow Jesus and, and Peter makes this, you gotta love Peter, Peter makes this great declaration, well, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. We've left, we've left family, we've left everything to follow you. And this is what Jesus says. Peter began to speak to him, look, we have left everything to follow. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. There is no one who has left his home or his brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive in this age a hundred times as much homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, all with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Did you catch that? He says, anyone who has left mothers, fathers, families, fields to follow me in this age and in the age to come, you will be repaid 100-fold. Now answer me this. Where in this life are we going to receive 100 homes, 100 brothers, 100 sisters, and 100 children? Except the church. <laughs> This is really exciting because I'm telling you today, I look across this crowd and there are several people in this crowd that I could literally go to your house, walk in the door, open the refrigerator and eat your food and you wouldn't ask any questions. I've got a hundred homes. I've got a hundred brothers and sisters. I've got a hundred mothers. I've got a hundred fathers. And I want to encourage you today that as part of the family of God, as followers of Jesus, we are not alone. We have a family. And Jesus bought this. He bought the church with his blood as he hung on the cross. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Christ purchased the church of God with his own blood. Hallelujah. So as we land this this morning, 
as you look at the humanity of the cross, Jesus' words, as you look at the horror of the cross, I want to exhort you to take courage. Take courage this morning. Take courage in the example of Jesus. In his moment of greatest need, when the Father was getting ready because of the sin, when he's getting ready to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In his moment of greatest need, he was eager to care for his mother. How much more is he eager to care for us as his followers today? And if he could do this in his hour of greatest need, think about this. How much more able is he to do it now that he's seated at the right hand of the Father? Oh, he's able. There is grace and mercy for every need. He is our apostle. He is our high priest. It's about Jesus, folks. Hallelujah. Take courage today. If Jesus revealed the nature of the church as the family of God, as he purchased our salvation, take courage in knowing you're not alone. You have a family. We're going to close by singing today. I don't know where you are this morning. I hope this is appropriate, but maybe some of you say, you know, I don't have a family. I want to, I want to, I want to be part of this family of God. The Bible says that you just need to believe in Jesus, right? Repent, confess, come to him. I want to give you the opportunity, if you don't know him, if you want to be part of this family this morning, I want to give you, we're not talking about joining the church. We're talking about asking God for Jesus' sake to be part of his family. So as they sing, I'm just going to stand down here. But if you'd like to receive Jesus this morning, if you'd like to pray and call out to him, be part of the family, please do that. Or if you just need to be loved on by part of the family, maybe... Maybe you just like to seek him. I love what Curtis said. It's level ground at the foot of the cross, right? We're all family. So Curtis, I'm going to turn it over to you. If you need to pray this morning, I'm happy to pray with you. A lot of brown to green folks here that are happy to pray with you. I love you guys. We're family in Jesus. We're family. Let's stand. Let's worship God. Let's sing together.